Bible, please open it up to the book of First John towards the very end of your Bible. Um, my name is Josh, if we've never met before, and it's great to be with you as always uh, today. There's people walking around with a Bible, and if you just want to slip up your hand, they'd be happy to, to give that to you. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love it if you take that home with you. That's yours. And uh, we're going to be reading this morning in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 of 1 John. So let me read these few verses, and then I'm going to pray. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God. And have, all, ha, and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever, God, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning we do look to you, and we ask you, God, to speak to us. Lord, uh, we, we might come in this room with weary hearts, whether emotionally or physically, or we might be carrying burdens, Lord, that, that we've been carrying, and maybe we're not meant to carry them, Lord, and I pray that, that we would bring those burdens to you, Lord Jesus. You say your burden is light, and I pray that we would once again receive the announcement of what you've done for us, and I pray that would really uh, lift those burdens. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning and hearts that not only want to know what your word says, but want to do it and obey it. Not only just want to obey it, Lord, that we would we'd really want you, and we'd want more of you in our life. And so, God, we pray that you'd speak to us and shape us into the people that you're wanting to make here in the city for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, question for you. How do you know what is true and what is not true? And can you really even know? I mean, these days, uh, in the time we live in, it feels like it's often hard to know what's true and what sources to believe and that kind of thing even about basic things in life, and therefore, you could argue our skepticism is at an all-time high in some ways. But this isn't actually a really new thing. Um, I don't know if you ever heard back in 1835, which you remember then, right? 1835, there was a newspaper called the New York Sun, and it published about six different articles that were allegedly printed from the Edinburgh um, Science Journal. And these um, alleged reprinted articles supposedly were based upon a famous astronomer's findings during that time named John Herschel. 
And it was said that he traveled to Cape Town, South Africa. And while he was there, he used this really powerful telescope and he, you know, studied the moon. And as he studied the moon, he sort of recorded what he, what he saw. And what he recorded that he saw was not what you and I know of the moon. Uh, he recorded all these things that, you know, from uh, evidence of alien life forms and people obviously just ate that up. They were just tripping out about it, like, wow, we always knew, you know, kind of thing. And he reported that this place was kind of like a paradise. There was rivers and vegetation. He even said he found unicorns, two-legged beavers with no tails, right? He found other things as well, things like these human being-looking creatures with um, bats, like wings, or wings that bats have and this kind of stuff. And people were just eating this stuff up. They loved it. And so the guy from the New York Sun, his name was Richard Locke, he wanted to create sensational stories to increase readership. And it did that. It accomplished it. A lot of people bought the paper, as you can imagine. And this became known as the Great Moon Hoax. And it was really famous, and you can read about it today. But the thing of the problem was is that it grew the readership, but it wasn't, it wasn't true, was it? Right? It wasn't true even though it was presented as truth. And that's the problem, right? It was a credible source offering something to people that they thought was credible. And because it was coming from a credible source, so they thought, they believed it. And it's, you know, just got a bunch of people. It was a professional medium that made it look credible. And that's the problem with falsehood, right? Sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it can feel really credible, can it? It can be received as credible, but it doesn't make it true, does it? Let's just be real for a moment. What happened in 1835 in that newspaper isn't foreign to our experience today. Deception is, is all around us, right? If you're, if you're with it a little bit, deception is all around us. And so where deception flourishes, so must the flourishing of discernment come. Right, this can feel like an impossible task at times, but we see this morning in our text that we could truly know what is true and what is error. But your passage that you have in front of you isn't giving you discernment so that you'll necessarily know if someone's trying to dupe you about the moon or something. Right? It's trying to give you discernment when it comes to the, the real important stuff of life. Discernment of something that's way more important and really costly if you don't discern it rightly. And it's all about God. And so what we see this morning in our passage is this. We see this really sobering command in verse 1. We see a clarifying test to discern what's true in verses 2 through 3. And then in verses 4 through 6, we see this really glorious encouragement that's offered to us. So beginning in verse 1, we see this really sobering command. What does it say? What does it say again? Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, into the world. So we're commanded here to not do something, so don't do something, but we're also told to do something else instead. We are told to not believe every single thing that we hear. But we notice here how it is communicated. It doesn't say, and this is really important, it doesn't say don't believe every idea, does it? What does it say? It says, don't believe every spirit, every spirit. Well, let's just press pause here for a second. Okay, this is, this is really important. Think about 
what is being said here and the realities and ramifications of it. Just think about it. Right? We're informed here that ideas and truth statements have a spirit behind them. Right? It's, it's not a mere word or mere information. There's, there's something to it that's bigger than what your eye can see. Right? We've seen in John's letter this last fall, if you think back to chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, that we can know we are God's children because of what? The spirit that God has given to us. But here, we see that it's not only believers who claim to have an experience of the spirit. Right? There's those other spirits. So we aren't merely commanded to discern words. You're not merely commanded to discern information. Do you see this? We are called to discern this. What spirit is informing and influencing this word? Right? That's being presented to me as truth. What's behind this? I think we often use language like this. Maybe when we reference a person, we say, oh, there's a really nice spirit about them. You know, there's a cheerful, joyful spirit. You know, we talk about people having a way about them, but this is getting at something much more significant. This is saying that there is an actual influence, an intoxication, if you will, an animation behind the things that people are declaring to you about what you should believe to be true about God. Let me just consider alcohol for a second, okay? And how often alcohol is referred to as what? Spirits, isn't it? Right? This is because of the intoxicating influence that alcohol can have. If you consume enough of it, it'll have this intoxicating influence over your life. And so under the influence of alcohol, you will make decisions that you wouldn't normally make otherwise, right? You will say things that you wouldn't normally say. You're being influenced. You're being animated, if you will, by something else. And John is calling us to not believe every spirit that we hear because not all ministries that claim the name of Jesus are empowered by God, right? God isn't the one behind some people's ministries, even if they're done in the name of Jesus. Just because someone has the title of pastor, right? just because someone has a ministry or a church is called a church, or just because someone has a podcast, a pulpit, and a crowd, right? That doesn't mean the spirit behind that person is the spirit of God. What a sobering reality. And yes, I do recognize that I'm a pastor with a pulpit and a bit of a crowd this morning saying that. So that means you're supposed to be discerning what's even coming out of my mouth this morning, right? We have a difficult time embracing this reality as Westerners, don't we? We don't think of ideas or truth statements as fundamentally spiritual or animated by a spirit. We think of them as information that's maybe neutral or it's disarmed with anything that would be connected to a reality that we can't see with our eyes. Because why? We live in the material, don't we? Right? We live in the material, in the explainable, in the classrooms of science and psychology. We swim in biological explanations and reason and logic. We don't think ideas are animated by other spirits, but that's not what you're being told here. There are spirits behind ideas. What kind of spirit would this be? Well, when you think of the context of 1 John, there's only two possible camps of spirits. There are the ones that are of God and those that are not. That's what we see in our text today. We see that those that are of Christ and those that are anti-Christ. Those are anti-Jesus. They're against Jesus. To put it in the language of chapter 3 of 1 John, which we looked at this back in the fall, we see those that are of God is one camp and those that are of the evil one, the devil, right? There's really only two possible options here. So the reality is, yeah, don't believe everything you hear then. 
The second part of the command, though, comes in play here. It's what? Test the spirits to see whether they're from God or from the evil one. Why? Why should you do that? Why should you care about this this morning? Why should you test every spirit to see that it's from God? Well, verse 1 tells us, for, right? What does it say? For, here's why. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, there's a really important clarification. I'm just going to be very forthright with you here, okay? Okay, we are not talking this morning about generic fake news in our media. We aren't talking about politics right now, okay? So just, if you're having those thoughts, just delete them from your head, okay? That's not what this is getting at. And to be very specific... John is not even referencing sort of atheistic thoughts and ideologies that are in the world as opposed to Christian faith, okay? To be very specific, we are being confronted with those that are claiming to know God and are walking around with sort of like a Bible in their hand. And they're telling you things you should believe about God that aren't lining up with the truth of the gospel that's found in the word, okay? That's what we're getting at here, right? Being deceived in that kind of way. It's people with those kind of clothes on that you would say, they would say, I'm a Christian, that kind of thing. So why should these people, these false prophets that that John loves so much, or sorry, why should these people that he's writing to that John loves and cares about so much test everything they hear? Because there are people going out in the world, these false prophets, who are claiming that they know the truth about God. They're proselytizing in the name of God, but they are wrong. They are wrong. Do, Do you have a category for that? Or do you think anything that's labeled Christian, that's in the Christian, there's still a bookstore called Barnes & Noble. I went to it the other day in Clackamas. There's a few left. You know, the Christian living section. I mean, do you just, anything that's in that section, like, hey, it's it's Jesus stuff, you know? Do 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 you have a category for this? That there are people in the world right now who are encouraging you towards believing certain things about God that sound appealing, attractive even, right? But they are not of God, right? Sometimes it seems obvious to us that we're being deceived we're like yeah this is obvious you're just this is ridiculous and other times it's not as easy to discern is it right to put it to you this way my daughter who's three in march uh she's she loves pink okay and that probably is the largest understatement i could ever say it's it's borderline insanity how much she likes pink and the other day she was talking to me about what my favorite color is And I don't really have a favorite color, just being honest with you. But for the sake of the conversation, I knew I had to pick one, okay? So I said to her, oh, my favorite color is green. My favorite color is green, okay? And she said, well, mine is pink. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that, you know? And then she asked me what color her hair is. And I said, it's blonde. And she got visibly angry and said, no, it's pink. And I was like, okay, it's pink, you know? And then she's like, what color is your hair? And I was like, brown. She's like, no, it's green. And so I was just like, okay, okay. You know, like I'm honestly pretty terrified of her. And so um, (laughs) uh, if I'm being really honest with you. And so just to create a sense of peace in the moment, I'm just like, okay, okay, your hair's pink, my hair's green. Let's just live in that reality. But it's obvious, right? Like I don't need a high level of discernment to go, what's really happening here? She can't deceive me that easy. She can try to persuade me through some cuteness or through her terrifying strength, but it's pretty obvious, you know? But sometimes it's not so obvious, is it? It's a little more enticing. Think back to the first ever deception in the world, right? The first deception, it sounded good, but it was just twisted enough to where it wasn't so obvious. Remember that happened? God says to Adam, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will eat of it and surely die. That sounds like a really bad outcome. Pretty clear command, right? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She nails it, right? That's exactly true. That's exactly what God said, right? She is not deceived, and so what does the serpent do? He, does, he deceives her, right? But he doesn't deceive her in the command, he deceives her in the outcome, right? What's the outcome? The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That won't be the result, will it? It's a deception of that. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, shoot, right? And since that day, deception that is clothed with the appearance of God's goodness and truth has spread throughout this world. There are going to be things that sound good in life and even things clothed as biblical truth that are presented to you. Not every deception is very obvious, you guys. It's an important command. So how are you going to know what's true and what is error? What is from God in a different spirit of the world? Verse 2 through 3 tells you. What does it say? Verse 2, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. It says, by this you know. Did you know that you can know? Like, you can know. I'm not sure if there's anything less modern when it comes to conversations about faith than this, that you can really know. You can truly know. Right? How are we to discern what's true and of the Spirit of God and what is false and of the Spirit of the world? What's the answer? It's pay attention to what people are saying about Jesus. That's what he says. You want to know what's true and what's error? Pay attention to what people are saying about Jesus. What an interesting test. Right? What a curious evaluation. It's as if truth isn't merely abstract or something, right? Or, or merely information or ideas that are communicated through words, but instead that truth is somehow bound up in a thorough way in a person. Right? The test is to pay attention to what the speaker says about Jesus. That's the test. To the test is the speaker's confession, which confession is not a mere statement. It's sort of a belief, right? I believe this to be true. It's a confession, okay? And so verse 2 says that the spirit that does not confess Jesus is the Christ is not from God, right? That they don't believe that Jesus actually came, that he's the Messiah. He's the promised one that was sent, right? So here's the evaluation we're making. Is this person from God? Not just is this true, but is this person from God? How do we know who is from God? They confess the one who God has sent into the world, who is from God, if you will. Right? It's a confession that God has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and you could see him, you guys. You could touch him with your hands. You could hear his voice, right? He was fully man. If someone does not confess Jesus in this way, we are told that that person isn't just well-meaning, but mistaken, Right, but that they are intoxicated, they're influenced by a spirit that isn't of God. 
That's what you're told here. They instead have the spirit of the Antichrist, meaning they aren't for Jesus, but in minimizing aspects of Jesus or maximizing other aspects of Jesus and distorting that truth, they are against Jesus. They are anti-Jesus. Interesting. It's this spirit that's come into the world and is in the world. We must never forget that as glorious as you might think Jesus is, as, as beautiful as his grace is towards you and his mercy that we've been seeing about this morning, as much as you love Jesus and are, you think he is so glorious, the world and the intoxicating and animating real spirit of the world stands in opposition to Jesus, right? So here's the thing. Contrary to how people talk, What's being presented to you here is that you can't just make up whatever you want to be true about Jesus, right? He's real, and he's fully God and fully man. And being that he has come in the flesh and revealed himself to us and said things in the Gospels like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? I have revealed him to you right, then it's not left to me to wonder who God is and what he's like. I don't get to make this stuff up anymore. I'm, not con- I'm now confronted with the reality of who God is, and I can either embrace him or I can reject him, but twist him around and make him into whatever I want him to be, that's just not a thing. This is not even a thing, right? We, we don't do this with anybody else, do we? Let's just say there was a rumor going around in Gresham. There was a man who existed named Joe Bryant, Okay? Joe, if you don't know, if you're new here, Joe is the guy leading you this morning and call to worship and announcement and stuff. Joe Bryant, right? He's an elder here in the church. But let's just say there's a rumor going around that there's a man in the city named Joe Bryant, but no one had ever seen him. No one had ever met him. There's just like a rumor about him. You will, he never left the house kind of thing, okay? We might sit around and say, man, have you heard about this guy named in, in town named Joe? Have you heard about this guy named Joe? I've heard all about him. You go, yeah, I've heard about him, but have you met him? No, I haven't heard, I haven't met Joe yet, but I've, I've heard a lot about him. Oh, really? Yeah, I've heard he's huge, like six foot seven, you know, just ripped, like pure muscle, you know what I mean? And the other person might say, oh, that's weird. I thought he's like five two. That's what I, that's what I've heard, you know, and he's, he's like skin and bones, you know, that kind of thing. Oh man, well, I heard he's really smart. He reads a ton of books. That's why he never leaves his house, you know, he's just a brilliant man, he just eats meatloaf and ice cream all day and this kind of stuff. And someone else might say, oh, that's really weird. I wonder how he does that because I heard he's really athletic and if he just came out, he could be a professional athlete in any field, you know? Or someone might say then, no, 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 that's not true. Like, I think he just goes around the world and that's why we don't see him because he's out in landscapes and different nature parts of the world and he's taking photographs. He's a real Ansel Adams type, you know? And we're just going back and forth about who Joe is. We've never seen him, we've never met him. There's all these rumors and we're just making up whatever we want about Joe, we could do that all day long, and here's the thing. If none of us have ever met Joe, no one in the world has ever met Joe, we could truly say, who knows? Maybe you're right. Maybe somehow he is 5'2 and 6'7, you know? But if Joe comes out of the house, if Joe reveals himself to you, that has to stop, right? You have to receive Joe for who he is. That's how this thing works. And so now I can receive what is true about Joe, or I can keep spreading false rumors about Joe and make Joe into the Joe that I've always wanted to be, right? If I minimize parts of Joe and magnify other parts and distort Joe and spread false rumors about him, I'm not pro-Joe, am I? I'm anti-Joe. That's what I am. If he's revealed himself to me, 
right? So people in the days of John, they're doing this very thing with Jesus, whether you want to argue that they're doing it intentionally or maliciously, or if they're doing it naively because they've been deceived by the evil one, just like Adam and Eve. Either way, the spirit about them is the Antichrist. People in John's day, they're denying, the, they're denying the physicality of Jesus, and they're saying things about him. A false claim was spreading that was saying that Jesus only appeared to be human, that he wasn't actually fully man. And a lot of this thinking was based upon the belief in that day, which is still around today, that anything in the material world was inherently evil, and so, therefore, Jesus could not have been fully man. That would have made him not very sinless, now would it? But no, we're presented here that he's fully God, he's fully man, he's not half God, he's not half man, he's full, right? Fully both. That's why, notice the repetition in verse 3, it says, whoever does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh, that he's the Christ, right? But then he just repeats himself, does not just confess, he just says, does not confess Jesus. He just puts him forward, whoever doesn't confess Jesus, Right? See, the centering point of evaluation is the person of Jesus. The point is not merely that as long as someone simply says, I believe Jesus was a real person, if someone comes to you this week and says that, that doesn't mean that you go, I'm just going to believe everything you say now because you believe that Jesus came in the flesh. That's not the point, right? Right? The point is that you are receiving the full Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, no more, no less. Now, do you see people doing this in our world today? Even in books that you find, Christian living sections, adding and subtracting from him. You know, we have, we have easy places to discover this, maybe with like people like Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or even Muslims who claim to believe in Jesus, but that he was only man, not divine. Right? You have secular humanists who've done the same thing and claim that we merely just need his teachings, the good ones, and his good ideas, Right? We have some who use Jesus as a means to an end, something they want to achieve instead of realizing that he is the end. And we have some who are modern-day ascetics who elevate his divinity and minimize the humanity of Jesus through their actions because they say the physical world doesn't matter. Sending meals to the Medina's family, who cares? They just need the gospel. Well, that's, that's a minimizing and a maximizing of Jesus in ways that are never meant to. Do you see people clothed in some form of Christianity, holding a Bible in their hands, adding to or subtracting from Jesus? Do you do this? Maybe we don't have a problem with the flesh and blood Jesus. We want that Jesus, but not the divine Jesus. Give me the Jesus that makes me happy, but let's deconstruct the Jesus that calls me to be holy. Give me the Jesus that gives me success, but let's dismantle the Jesus that calls me to suffering. Give me the Jesus that will give me the street credit that I can go out in the streets of Gresham and let's reform this place, but let's throw out all that talk about the need to be forgiven of my sin. Let's not talk about that. Give me the Jesus that promises abundant joy, but let's forget about how he said, if I want to find my life, I need to lose it. If the Jesus you know always conforms to your ideas and never challenges your view, in, in ways that necessitate that your life needs to change, then you and I need to wonder if we have a hold of Jesus. You guys, this is, this is critically important. I need to know Jesus then if I'm going to be able to know what and who is of God and not of God. It's like the, the issue here is this. 
You don't need to keep up with all the false claims in the world about Jesus. The call is that you know the real him. Like if I've only met you once for five minutes and then I'm out and about this week in town and someone goes up to me and says, you know, hey, is that, is that Rick Campbell over there? I know, I know you better. But if someone's like, is that Rick? I'd say, uh, maybe. I've only known him for five minutes. I've only barely seen him. But if, you, if there's like a sea of people in here, you know, like no floor space even, and someone said, is that your wife over there? I'd say yes or no. I don't care how close her doppelganger is or something, right? Like, I know my wife. I've spent time with her. I know the real Elizabeth, don't I? So I can pick out the things that aren't of her, right? You recognize the fakes by knowing the real one. You recognize truth by knowing and spending time with the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. So how are we to test? How are we to know? It's pay attention to what people say about Jesus. But just before you get too nervous or insecure, panicky, we end here with a glorious encouragement. What does it say? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we finally get a, this big bow wrapped on this whole encouragement at the end here. And he says, do you want to know how to know? Pay attention to who is being listened to. You know it's the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error if people listen to us. That's what he says. So who is us? The us is the eyewitnesses that you saw at the beginning of the letter, right? Those that we saw in chapter one who saw and touched the real Jesus. It's the apostolic message. It's the apostolic band. So there's a question that needs to linger over us just for a moment, and that's this. Who has your ear then? If you're being led by the means of your ear, who has your ear? And here directly in the center, we have this glorious hinge verse that's meant to encourage you and make very clear who should have your ear. And the way the author does that is by centering this section on a burden-lifting encouragement. So if you were beginning to feel anxious at all about being right and being wrong and, oh, no, that kind of thing, he's saying, just sit back. Just relax. Listen. Verse 4, we, we, we have here something that's spoken over you as truth, but you didn't do it. Right? You didn't do anything. And because you didn't do it, and someone else has done it for you, it's spoken as something that's already happened for you. What is it? Little children? These aren't like, this isn't kids ministry thing. He's just, it's a term of endearment. It says, you are from God. That's true. That's birth language, right? You've been born again. You are from God and have overcome them. Who? Right? Those who are trying to deceive you. Why have I overcome them? Past tense verb, right? Why have I overcome them? Because I'm awesome? Because I conquered? Because I'm so strong? No, it's because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in me? Well, it's the Spirit of God isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. How? Because Jesus, you guys, has conquered the evil one and his powerful rule, aka the world, on my behalf. Well, who's in the world? 
hey, don't miss this again. It's like John's pulling back the veil of what you can actually see with your eyes. There's something behind all this. He who's in the world, it's, it's the evil one from chapter 3. There's a real war going on here. It's a war for your ear. Because the pathway to your heart is through your ear. But the way we receive this, shouldn't make us look for a, a devil behind every corner? You know, that's not what you should run out here doing this morning. And it should not cause you to think that everything's just neutral in life. How should you receive this? Notice what this does to you. This announcement will do at least two things to you. Number one, what does it little do? It'll encourage you, won't it? Meaning, it'll infuse courage within you because you have overcome through your residing faith in Jesus. Remember, it's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith, isn't it? And that's Jesus. So this is meant to infuse courage within you. I have overcome. But it's, secondly, it's meant to humble me because I didn't overcome. I didn't overcome because I overcome. I overcome because someone else overcome. Someone else overcame, right? So instead of pride, my response then is this sort of humble adoration that just like blows up in my heart, you know? And I just all of a sudden experience all this gratitude because I didn't do it, but it's true. So when you are encouraged by this word and humbled by this word, it'll cause you to see and respond differently. When you watch people moving away from the center of who Christ is and moving away from him as they follow other teachers because you see that they are from the world and the message originated not in God that that was spoken, it originated in the world and it's the world that listens to them. So the implication is if you are from God and not the world, don't follow the crowd. Don't just merely follow the crowd, right? Your ear leads to your heart and it's leading you somewhere. So who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Who do you let have authority over your life in your ear? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what gives people an authority to speak into your life? Like what credibility do they need to have for you to go, I'm going to listen to you? Have you ever processed that? Is it merely crowdsourcing? Well, everyone else seems to think it's true. Is it the majority of the voices? Does it just have to be a famous somebody? Is it what you think sounds reasonable to your own thinking? Is it a feeling, just merely a feeling? Is it whatever liberates you to do and believe what you've always hoped you could do and believe? What, is, what does the person or the voice that you listen to have to have done to speak into your life? I could follow that up by asking, what has the person who you give your ear to ever done for you? What has God done for you? Does he have your ear? Well, for starters, uh, God has made you, right? He knows you better than you know yourself. And not only did he make you, he gave his life for you. That's why we consider in John chapter 16, when Jesus tells his followers in the upper room before he goes to the cross that he will send them the spirit. And he tells them that they will experience sorrow in the face of his death but then their sorrow will turn into joy after his resurrection, but then he ends by telling them how they are going to abandon him in his greatest moment of need, in the face of his own death. And he says in John 16, 32, he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, 
each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What grace that those he's invested in is about to die for and will abandon him, he still says to them, take heart. Right, take heart, which is a word of encouragement. It's meant to give courage to someone who's lacking it. What is it that encourages them? What does he say? I have overcome the world. Receive the courage from that announcement. Jesus wins. He's already won. And you can now live and believe that no matter what comes your way, you know that circumstance, that person, that thing can't dethrone Jesus. Right? You, you know that he is coming again, and when he comes again, there will be no more insecurity, no more lacking of love, no fear or abandonment, no pain or tribulation. There will only be the full reality of victory. Jesus has won. He has overcome. And because of his victory, now you live from a place of victory, not from a place where you have to anxiously fear being overcome. Right? The spirit which was sent into your heart upon the reception of the gospel is in you, and he is greater, right? He is overcome. This truth might seem difficult to understand, but we get passive victory all the time. Just give you a biblical example of this. Take the famous story of David and Goliath, right? Right, Goliath was a terrifying Philistine who no one could defeat, yet God sent out there to, to fight him, little meek and humble David, Right? And what happens? You guys know the story, right? Just look at your felt boards in your mind, right? What happens? David is victorious. What does Israel have to do? Do they go, thanks, David, you took out the scary guy. Now we're going to go defeat the Philistines. No, not at all, right? No, the, the, the rest of Israel doesn't have to go and do that. No, David's victory meant victory for all of Israel, didn't it? Israel won because David won. Right, his victory was applied to the whole nation. You guys get this uh, when it comes to sports, don't you? Right, there's a game later today, I'm told. And um, if someone makes a game-winning catch, say it's Metcalf or somebody, you know, you know, he would win the game for the Seahawks, wouldn't he? Right? And, and what's going to happen? Because that person made the catch, not only did that person win the game, the whole team wins the game, Right? But not only that, you're going to say something really weird, aren't you? You're going to walk around saying what? We won. We won. But you weren't there, right? Let's just be honest. You bought a hat. You did, I mean, you did something, right? But you're going to say that, aren't you? We won. Why? Because someone won for you. I wasn't on the battlefield, but I get to experience the victory now, don't I? What a glorious encouragement that I have an invitation to discern. I can know what's true and what's not true, right? There, there's a clarifying test. Who is this person? What, is he, what are they saying about Jesus? Are they receiving the whole Jesus, the full Jesus? I mean, that's going to require change in my life from time to time. It's not always going to line up with me. And beyond that, you guys, because of what he's done, the spirit has been sent into my heart so that now through his victory, I have overcome. But I didn't win. He did. What grace. What grace. 
Really? So if I don't know about you, but I want him to have my ear. He gave his life for me. He imparted his victory to me. Let's all stand together as we go into our time of response. Lord Jesus, this morning I do pray that you would give us the ability to know what is of you and what's not. There's a lot of voices in the world. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of everything. There's a lot of voices, God, and I pray that you would help us to know what is of you and what's not, that your word would accomplish its purpose in our lives. More than anything, Lord, I pray that we would, we would desire you. We wouldn't just want to be right and not wrong. Lord, we know that would just lead it to our pride. Lord, I pray more than anything, we would want you, the God behind the truth. God, the truth is leading us too. So I pray in our time of response, Lord, you give us hearts that worship, that rest in your finished work on our behalf. Lord, that we would, we would live this world in a way that brings you so much glory, so much praise, holding out the full Jesus to each other. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.